Welcome to the Stockout. This is your show at Freightwaves uh, for all things related to CPT companies and their supply chains. I'm Mike Bowden, Disselman Analyst and Market Expert here at Freightwaves. Uh, follow the rail intermodal industries, uh, work some with the companies uh, that are in finance that are, are Sonar uh, clients, and, and also uh, follow uh, CPG uh, industry. And uh, this is a show that's dedicated to CPG uh, industry, which goes live every Tuesday at uh, 2 p.m. Eastern. Um, and today, uh, we're going to have a really insightful show. Uh, we have a guest on that uh, I've been looking forward to, to, to speaking with. It's uh, KK DeVay, who's the president of client engagement at IRI. So IRI is a data analytics company that has a specialty in CPG, along with a couple other industries, retail and uh, healthcare. But they really know uh, the CPG industry well. So I think this is going to be really uh, insightful a discussion. Um, and just before I do that, before I interview uh, KK DeVay, I'm going to run through just a couple of items. Uh, the first one is if you are not already signed up for uh, the Stockout newsletter and you have any interest in the CPG industry, um, you know, please head on over to FreightWaves.com. You can do FreightWaves.com forward slash, forward slash the Stockout, and that'll take you there. Or uh, easiest way is maybe just go to FreightWaves.com, go up to newsletters, and they put the Stockout at the top of the supply chain uh, newsletter. So I think uh, the the production team decided to focus on the the best ones um, first, and, and and put mine uh, right at the the top there. So we try to get about two of those out, you know, every week. Um, you know, they'll be on anything from companies' earnings to what's happening in uh, data, Freightways data and sonar. Sometimes I highlight you know what other uh, writers at Freightwaves are, are are talking about, or even just you know sort of what I'm hearing from you know client discussion. Sort of anything I think is is interesting, uh, just with a focus on. CPG companies um, and their supply chains. Uh, also, I uh, want to highlight that our uh, first in-person conference in a long time is going to take place on May 9th and 10th at the Rogers Convention Center in Northwest Arkansas. Um, here's a graphic on uh, that if, if you're looking at the, the video uh, you know, presentation of this. And so some of the CPGs that are going to be there are Nestle, Unilever, Tyson. There's going to be all kinds of uh, carriers and 3PLs, uh, people from the world of uh, finance. Looking at the list last night, it's really an impressive list. So hope uh, to meet a lot of you in person. Um, it's the, the two days after you know Mother's Day. So spend May 8th with your mom, uh, spend May 9th and 10th with us in uh, Arkansas. So go ahead and, and, and get your ticket. Um, it's not as difficult to get there as people make it out to be, at least it's not if you live in uh, Dallas or uh, Chicago, um, you have to go through one of those cities or, or Atlanta if, if you don't. So um, you know, with that, I um, would like to uh, you know, introduce today's guest. Today's guest is KK DeVay. Um, you know, KK, uh, thank you for joining me. Thank, glad to be here, uh, Michael. Yeah, so for those who are not familiar with uh, you and familiar with IRI, why don't you just give us a little bit of an overview of the services you provide, you know, what you do for the CPG industry? Sure. Uh, IRI tracks uh, about one and a half, uh, one point two uh, trillion in uh, annual spending of consumers. We track uh, all the grocery stores, uh, mass merge, club stores, e-commerce, uh, and and other such places, convenience stores, convenience and gas, where consumers come and buy uh, their weekly grocery products. And uh, we also measure what's in the store. Uh, so we kind of know the full 360 of you know when a when a shopper makes a purchase. Uh, this is uh, this sits on our uh, wonderful technology platform called IRI Liquid Data Platform, which allows us to cut and slice the data very fluidly 
and uh, and get at insights. And we work with both CPGs as well as retailers, providing a bunch of uh, recommendations on innovation, pricing, assortment, market share tracking, and a number of uh, such uh, things that help them drive growth. That sounds really uh, like you get a lot of great insights out of there. And and, and just one of the things that that comes up, um, you know, at least right now is, you know, the inflation has been so high. You've seen all these CPG companies raise prices multiple rounds. And, you know, a lot of the CPG companies have said, you know, elasticity is no worse than it has been historically. Do you, do you buy into that? I mean, are you seeing that in, in, in your data? Yeah, this is an area that we have been uh, tracking uh, very closely for several months. Um, you know, it, it is true in, in, in at, a, at one level, right? There is a consum- there's a lot of inflation inside the store and outside the store in everywhere. I was just out uh, on travel and, you know, you can get flight tickets, you can get rental cars, uh, and you can get hotels at reasonable prices, right? So there's inflation all around. Um, the elasticity of consumers for grocery products uh, was a little bit low, lower than uh, normal uh, during the pandemic, during most of the pandemic, and uh, for very good reasons. A, uh, you know, there wasn't a lot of other choices. People weren't, um, you know, spending their money in uh, non-goods, non, you know, services were out, travel was out, eating out was also kind of quite curtailed. Uh, and uh, there was stimulus money. There was, you know, people were working from home. Uh, that elevate, you know, the demand for at-home consumption was fairly elevated. So people were willing to pay for it. And then start. We also started having supply challenges. So you could, you know, if I couldn't get my favorite product, uh, you know, uh, all the time, whenever I see it, I pay whatever price and get it right. So if I'm particularly uh, particular about certain brands and certain products. So the elasticity was suppressed for a while. Uh, now we are beginning to see a little bit of a turn in that. Uh, in that. In that, prices have kind of really peaked in lots of categories, and uh, and consumers have other avenues to spend uh, in terms of travel and in terms of leisure and other uh, such activities. So their in-home consumption budget uh, is kind of you know shrinking a little bit in the last couple of months. And we're beginning to see evidence of elasticity, not in all the categories, but in some of the categories now in grocery. And which which categories would be more elastic? Where, where you're seeing some of the some of that pressure, um, and, and which are, are less elastic? Great question, right? So uh, the categories where supply is available, uh, you know, where you can most of the time find your product, uh, we are finding we are beginning to see uh, you know elasticity behaviors particularly for the white tag items, right? For the regular uh, everyday shelf price items. So things like eggs, um, meat, some cat- some segments of meat, uh, milk, uh, you know, these are categories where, where we are beginning to see elasticity. There are some categories where we are still, um, you know, depressed versus 2019 levels in terms of elasticity, meaning, you know, people are willing to pay more to get the product. Uh, these are products like ready to drink tea or coffee, uh, you know the Starbucks Frappuccino kind of uh, bottle that you know you 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 see at the grocery store, sports drinks, uh, some parts of meat, right? Uh, convenient, um, you know, refrigerated meats that are good for uh, fixing a lunch, a quick lunch. So those products where there is some shortages, 
and or meaning not shortages per se, but where the supply is a little bit more constrained, particularly if you're finicky about a brand, those categories are seeing elasticity still a little bit depressed compared to 2019. Yeah, that's great insight. So it's it's it seems like it's being driven more by, you know, the availability on shelves. If I don't get it today, am I going to be able to get it, you know, next week or, you know, tomorrow or, or something like that? So people are maybe buying and, and paying whatever the, the price is. So it's, it's, it's interesting that you're seeing some, you know, divergence across, you know, categories for, for, for that reason. Um, you know, I, I think the, you know, as, as you think about forecasting, you know, CPG, um, you know, volume, I mean, you guys have a lot of good data on that uh, too, you know, if I'm a CPG company, I think the struggle would be, you know, how much, uh, you know, volume do I want to bring in-house? I mean, a lot of the CPG uh, demand is still higher than it was pre-pandemic levels. A lot use outsourced manufacturing. That's very expensive. Um, but sort of going forward, um, you know, what are you seeing in terms of CPG companies wanting to bring more of that manufacturing capacity in-house versus using contract uh, manufacturing? Yeah, no, look, I think uh, every, all of us, right, we're quite surprised that this would last this long. When the COVID hit, we thought, you know, you know, once the vaccines come, you know, COVID will go away. Or if we quarantine for two, two, two weeks or three weeks, if all of us quarantine for two, three weeks, uh, you know, the the uh, the bug will go away. But it it wasn't the case. So at that time, a number of manufacturers were actually increasing their, um, you know, co-packer um, demand to kind of just tide over the the surge in demand, right? And we all thought. Uh, the demand will kind of revert back in 2021. Everybody thought by January, February, demand will moderate, particularly the vaccine announcement in uh, November. And then with the mask uh, mandate uh, coming off in uh, in early summer last year. But the demand has been, you know, has been quite strong for various reasons. And so, um, you know, and then a whole slew of supply chain challenges have hit the industry. So um, I, I do believe in the longer term, uh, just like from globalization to more nationalization that's going on uh, across a number of other uh, uh, industries, I would expect to see CPGs also bringing some more of the critical production capabilities and the plants in-house. Uh, I think we are beginning to see some, some companies investing. They've increased their capex and, uh, and, and putting up some plants, et cetera, to kind of have, you know, production closer to home, closer to, you know, under their control so they could kind of more seamlessly fill uh, demand uh, as it arises as opposed to depending on co-packers. And, uh, and co-packers, you know, uh, there's just so much that they can do uh, with, with, uh, with the elevated demand levels that we're still seeing today. Yeah, that's good insight. Um, yeah, I think you're right. I think we'll see more of those uh, companies bring more uh, manufacturing in-house. Um, you know, I wanted to ask you on the, the these companies' uh, cost uh, uh, structures. I mean, going through the CPG, just analyst reports, I mean, the, the, the thing that really stands out just how much margin contraction there's been, maybe with the exception yeah. of the meat companies that have seen margins improve, but most of the others, it's been maybe some cases a few hundred basis points, some cases more than that of, of margin pressure. Um, you know, what, what do you think the outlook is there for margins? Do you think they can get all that back in the next, in the next year, or how do you think they'll, they'll hand, handle that? Our discussions with uh, many executives suggest that the supply challenges, particularly on the commodity front, are not going to go away for another six to nine months. You know, before we kept saying in three months things will ease, 
But now most companies are saying, hey, it will take another six to nine months by the, hopefully by the year end, uh, things will ease. The Ukraine war and uh, the, the China lockdown and gas prices uh, have compounded the pressure on CPG margin. Um, and I do uh, anticipate uh, more pricing in the marketplace. We expected actually less pricing uh, last year. Uh, last year, when we were forecasting, you know, pr- you know, our outlook for pricing, we thought in the second half of the year uh, prices will moderate. But uh, our discussions and uh, our analysis suggests that there's going to be more pricing in the second half or in the second quarter and third quarter of this year. And all of that is coming because of the you know inflation in 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 the CPG's uh, PNL, right? So I don't anticipate a lot of uh, relief this year. I think it'll be more next year when things will moderate, and hopefully, right, with all these problems ironed out, demand you know supply will meet demand, and uh, and and CPG's should be able to. Uh, get back to a little bit more uh, profitable levels than they are today. So even though I know freight costs are coming down for the last few weeks, uh, the other uh, uh, input costs continue to kind of inflate, and therefore CPGs are at this uh, uh, have no other means but to raise prices at least somewhat, if not fully. Yeah, I agree with you there. I mean, the, the freight costs are coming down, but you look at freight costs as a percentage of these companies' costs of goods sold. And it's like eight or nine percent. You look at ingredients as, as about half or more. Packaging still rising. There's just lots of other other pressures there. So um, six more weeks of winter, I think, with the the, the higher prices. Um, <laughs> if you've seen any of the CPG companies do anything, you know, creative to um, you know cut expenses, you know, as their cost structures rise. I mean, I know like you know Kellogg pulled back on marketing because you know. The workers are on strike. We're not selling as many cornflakes to, to sell anyway. Or using anything like that? Yeah. So there, there are a couple of different levers people are using, right? One is uh, marketing spend, which we don't recommend you do. Uh, it, it hurts you in the long run. Uh, trade promotion, right? One thing about uh, pricing is that many companies have taken off, uh, taken uh, all the hot uh, deals out. So you're not getting those 10 for 10s and two for whatever, threes and and, and so on and so forth. So uh, uh, trade promotion budgets have come down quite a bit, though retailers are beginning to push back on that. Um, so cutting promotions, cutting advertising, cutting assortment has been another, another uh, strategy, especially the long tail assortment. So we are seeing assortments running at 75% uh, level compared to 2019. That's quite a bit of a shrink. Um, and then, of course, uh, the usual um, uh, 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 playbook of uh, uh, reformulating products, taking a little bit product out and kind of shrinking pack sizes uh, are, are kind of kind of going on. The one interesting thing I've seen is, you know, some of the uh, more leading CPGs are working with their retailers to take the total cost out, right? So if you t- imagine today, the manufacturer ships the product from their factory to the retailer's warehouse. The retailer kind of brings from the warehouse into their back of the store and from the back of the store, it comes to the front of the store. So there are three or four hands touching the product multiple times. Now with e-commerce and micro-fulfillment and other uh, things, uh, other initiatives that are going on in CPG, they're trying to figure out how do we minimize all of these handoffs 
and get the product more directly to consumers without so many hands touching. Partly challenged by the labor uh, uh, costs and labor availability uh, these days. So that's another way in which you kind of think about more broadly from a total cost system cost perspective and take some costs out which are not benefiting the consumer or the retailer or the manufacturer. Yeah, that's interesting. It seems like a collaboration across partners um, is, is a big mm-hmm. part of this. Um, you know, I also want to ask you about the, the e-commerce um, explosion that we've had with things like, you know, the D2C products, these you know, delivery boxes, subscription boxes, those type of things. You know, how are the, the CPG companies, um, you know, managing through that, which, you know, that could eat into to their sales? Yeah, I mean, that's that's a challenge. So, so one of some of the ways in which is really partnering with the retailer to see how they can help the retailer, um, you know, fulfill all of these demand without uh, eating into their profits or the retailer's profits. The consumer today wants uh, a lot more personalization, right? So, um, you know, they, they're kind of demanding like, you know, they're seeing in other phases of life that you talk to me, uh, you know, in a, in a more personal way, uh, fulfill my needs uh, quickly. There's a whole segment of population which is willing to pay for the convenience of instant gratification. So whether you take a Uber Eats or whether a Instacart or a Go, uh, GoPuff, you know, you're seeing models, you know, which have kind of stabilized. We thought this will be a one-year phenomena in some sense, but even last year and this year, these companies have kind of really stabilized there's a segment of population willing to pay that extra price for the convenience of an Instacart or Uber Eats, getting a product and kind of bringing it home. Or in the case of GoPuff, right, I want to order something at 11 p.m. at night. You know, maybe it's a it's a Tylenol, maybe it's a sandwich, right? You know, I want it now in 30 minutes. People are willing to pay. So, you know, and 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 this obviously complicates the logistics and uh, and will drive up the cost initially. But I think as we settle down, as we figure out how to cater to these demand, both from a retailer perspective and manufacturer perspective, this will work itself out. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, yeah, I also want to ask you just on inventory levels. I mean, one of the, the things that goes into the, the freight waves thesis that's been you know, articulated the past couple of weeks about the, the slowing, um, you know, weakening truck market has been that inventories are, are high in, in certain cases. Does that apply to the CPG industry? I mean, you, it sounds like you know you're still seeing, um, you know, sh- you know, issues with the supply chain that not everything is on shelves. But you know, how, how would you describe the, the inventory levels um, in, in the CPG yeah, space? Yeah, we we track uh, we track uh, in stock rates uh, nationally and very granularly by region and by store and uh, by brand. We call it IRI Supply Index. It's actually published on our website. And if you look at it, you know, most of the non-edible products are more or less back to near normal levels. Edible products are still a little bit low compared to pre-pandemic levels. They're still running at the 85 to 86 range, 85 to 86% range, as opposed to their normal of 92 to 95%. So, uh, and then there are, you know, perennially certain categories which have been, uh, you know, lower in terms of in-stock for the last uh, six to nine months. And then some kind of come in and out. I think recently there was some baby formula recall. So then the baby formulas in stock rates dips, particularly in some markets for certain brands. So that kind of uh, a volatility continues in CPG. Now, in terms of in-store in inventory level, we don't track that data, but we look at the, uh, by looking at the, the, the in-stock rates in-store, 
we can kind of comment on, you know, infer that the inventory must be still low. Anecdotally, uh, you know, we do see people ordering a little bit more, knowing that they may not get the full 100% fulfillment, right? So from the manufacturer. So that, that phenomena has been going on for a while too. Yeah, that's, a, I think, a key takeaway, that the difference between what's an inventory for edible products versus versus non-edible uh, products. Um, you know, I wanted to ask you, I mean, what areas do you see that are, are growth areas in CPG? I mean, just looking from listening to the analyst calls, I mean, it seems like the health food, maybe the pet food, yeah. um, any others that, that are out there that, that you see as growth areas? Uh, specifically, uh, self-care. Um, the pandemic has, uh, you know, sensitized all of us to kind of take care of ourselves. Um, so in terms of what we eat and, you know, not just vitamins and supplements, but in terms of food also, right? Having all the functional ingredients before the pandemic, uh, you know, we used to kind of look for less salt and less sugar and less fat. But now people are looking for products with functional ingredients that will kind of help in their immunity, help reduce stress, help digestion, help, you know, brains to, you know, function uh, 100%, right, as everybody is hopping in and out of Zoom calls all through the day. And uh, preventative nutrition, right, so I don't fall sick and I don't have to go to a hospital, etc. right? A lot of growth in sports and energy drinks, uh, you know, really out of out of the world in terms of sudden spike uh, from COVID, 8 to 10% more in terms of volume compared to pre-COVID. Convenience at home, right? Uh, uh, ready to drink coffee, ready to drink tea, ready to drink uh, cocktails, right? A number of brands like uh, Buzzballs and Beatbox and and Shorties uh, have kind of really come up to fulfill the demand as bars were closed and people were reluctant to go out and drink, you know, catering to that demand. Uh, fresh prepared meals is another one. So you could kind of fix a, a meal quickly uh, in between your you know work day at home. Protein and plant-based alternatives, snacks, uh, meals uh, is also kind of has grown quite a bit. Cold-pressed is another area where there is uh, growth, uh, significant growth that we are seeing. Yeah, quite a number of things, uh, actually, um, on that list. Um, any other trends that you're seeing that we haven't touched on? Any you know trends in packaging that you think is, is, is interesting? Yeah. On the packaging front, I really, I mentioned this buzz balls and uh, beatbox and uh, shorties. They all kind of with different kinds of packages for um, in the in the alcoholication, uh, but also um, um, a lot of multi packs and multi serve is is accelerating. We are seeing a bunch of connected packagings, right? The QR code, so the manufacturer can stay in touch with the with the consumer uh, on how to use the product, how to uh, leverage it. I think Airwick and Lysol are two products that are kind of really pushing on that. This is also to collect the first party data where they can with the permission of the user, of course. So, you know, manufacturers can know how their products are used and uh, can help in the correct usage of products and repeat purchase, etc. So I think those are uh, uh, things. I think this whole connected packaging is uh, has legs and I think it's going to kind of uh, take off quite a bit uh, in, uh, in CPG. I think I talked about the promotional environment uh, you know, we are running at about 60% promotions compared to 2019, which is huge because before we were all dependent on a new exactly, you know, what attractive price points these products will appear. And so we'll wait for the deal and buy it. Uh, for now, two years, we have been trained that there may not be that deal, that hot deal to buy our products. So 
maybe consumers are beginning to uh, buy the product at uh, the white tag uh, prices, at the everyday prices. And, uh, and, and then the, the increased reliance on first-party data. I think manufacturers are kind of doing all these DTC, et cetera, to kind of learn from consumers and kind of you know, offer more personalized products and experiences to consumers. So those are the three trends that I would say uh, that we haven't touched on, but uh, are relevant from a consumer packaged goods perspective. Yeah, I think that's great insight. Um, yeah, just a lot going on in the space and a lot of, I think, uncertainty in the space. I mean, you typically think of CPGs as being maybe the, the stable category in, in the freight world, um, but uh, that wasn't the case during the, the, the pandemic. And we'll see if that's the case, you know, uh, after the pandemic. Uh, you know, how do folks uh, get in touch with you if they want to reach out, learn more about, about IRI and, and the services you provide? Sure. Um, you can, uh, IRI Worldwide has a very nice website where we actually share quite a bit of data for the benefit of uh, the industry and press. Um, if you still want to get in touch with me, you can just uh, write to me at kk.davey at iriworldwide.com or my uh, colleague Shelly Hughes, uh, H-U-G-H-E-S, Shelly.Hughes at iriworldwide.com. And we'll be uh, sure to get back to you. Okay, that's that's great. Yeah, thanks very much. It was, that was really insightful. Thank you. Thank you very much. We really enjoyed this discussion, and thanks for the opportunity. Have a great day. <laughs>